Being human, I think, is to have an imagination. That's something I found that sets us apart. It gives us the tools to just imagine a future for ourselves. And if we don't like how that goes down, then we can reimagine it. And then we can change the course that we're on to help it align with the things that we want in the future. I feel like my imagination is one of the best tools I have to solve my daily problems and enrich the lives around me. Welcome to the On Being Human podcast, where we believe transforming ourselves can positively transform society. Your host, Brandy Fleck, has the honor of exploring the human condition with real people who bravely share their personal stories of adversity, healing, joy, and more. If you're seeking empowerment, strength, and inspiration, Listen in to engage and explore tough topics that help us humanize one another, understand ourselves better, spread love, and connect. Welcome back this week to the On Being Human podcast. I'm your host, Brandi Fleck. Michelle Leiter of Spring Hill, Tennessee, has written and illustrated a children's book encompassing the values of imagination, handmaking, frugality, and being resourceful. Michelle is a mom and wife with a background in fine arts and graphic design. We start out talking about spending time in cemeteries as a child and different cultures. Then Michelle continues to open up about her life, being a lifelong artist and her first experience with fine art. She tells us about the journey art has taken her on and how art combined with being a mother and raising her own family has all culminated in her recent project, writing, illustrating, and starting the process of publishing a children's book. From this episode, you'll get inspiration to be creative, inspiration to start that project you've been meaning to do while incorporating your true passions, and you'll receive a thoughtful perspective to consider about our consumer-driven culture. Subscribe to the On Being Human podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Help us out by leaving a rating and review. We'd love to hear about the impact this podcast is having on you, the listener, and it helps others find the show. Find this episode at onbeinghumanpodcast.com front slash episodes front slash 047. Join the On Being Human community by signing up with your name and email address at onbeinghumanpodcast.com and you'll receive a free love mantra. You can also join in the conversation with us on Facebook. That's at On Being Human Podcast. Now, let's hear from Michelle. All right, everybody. Today we have with us Michelle Leiter. Welcome to the show, Michelle. You're here today to talk about a book that you've been working on. But first, how are you doing? I am doing great today. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you for having me on your show. I think it's wonderful what you're doing and and the outreach that you have. And uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. So please, before we jump in, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them who you are and a little bit about what you do. Okay. I am a wife and mother of three. I graduated with a fine arts degree from the University of Tennessee back in 2002. And I worked as a graphic designer for Tennessee Tech University until my daughter was born. That's when my career as a stay-at-home mom began. Currently, I'm working on publishing my first children's book. Awesome. That is so cool. I love it. 
Can you tell us a little bit of your life story? Why are you the way you are? Yeah. So I was born in Oklahoma City and I'm the youngest of three. Um, I actually had a really great childhood. My parents, uh, they were together 49 years until my father passed away. Yeah, it was a very loud, affectionate, encouraging home. (laughs) My grandmother lived with us on and off my entire childhood. So, um, you know, when I think back, like there's always grandma somewhere in the background, you know, throughout the different stages of life. My parents, they actually uh, were sales representatives in the cemetery industry. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. So, I spent like more time than any kid should spend, like at the cemetery. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like after school or in my summer breaks and stuff, like I'd go to work with my parents and I'd hang out and we'd walk through the cemeteries during lunch. And it's strange, but I have a lot of fond memories of walking through cemeteries with my parents. So. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> Were you ever scared at first? No, I wasn't scared. They always seemed so peaceful to me, I guess, and just the flowers and, you know, it always just be really nice outside or whatever. And I got to spend time with my mom. So that was, that was fine. I think what it did do though, unfortunately, like, you know, my parents, they were raised in New York City. And so with that came a little bit of mistrust and paranoia and things, you know, about like crime and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it it was compounded, you know, them working in the cemetery industry and like they would attend funerals sometimes and the graveside services of children, unfortunately, who, you know, died all different sorts of ways. So I think that made me being the youngest, the baby, I think that also like made them extra nervous, like, oh my goodness, this child, you know. Anyway, so sure, there was a lot of sheltering that went on, you know, just protection, you know. Yeah. I had two older sisters, one six years older than me and one's 13. And so, you know, we were always kind of in different stages of life. So I spent a lot of my childhood just entertaining myself, building card houses. I love doing that. And, you know, like playing with marbles and sticks and reading and drawing. And that's, you know, I I learned how to entertain myself. And uh, it's probably part of the reason why I'm like kind of an introvert now. Like I just, I really enjoy just being alone Mm -hmm. and I'm comfortable in that space. Gotcha. So yeah, we moved to East Tennessee the summer I turned 10. And that was kind of a culture shock. You know, like growing up, my mom always glorified New York City and like it was always like the cool place that she always wanted to go back to Mm -hmm. so in my mind I think I latched on to that and I also was like oh yeah big city life that's the best so when we moved to this very rural area in East Tennessee in the late 80s it was just like culture shock it was you know we were singing the Green Acres theme song in the car like I remember (laughs) that very vividly we're like where are we like people here are chewing tobacco what is that that's disgusting I'm seeing people spit while they're talking and and just the accents were different and you know I, I saw a lot of farm animals that I've never seen before and so yeah it was very it was very weird. I felt like we were just kind of like plopped there and mm-hmm. it was like, okay, now what do we do? So, you know, when I moved there, there was a lot of people that were like second generation in that town mm-hmm. and we weren't from there and I'm hundred percent Puerto Rican. So we looked, you know, a little bit different than the East Tennesseans that were there. I was Catholic by birthright, but we never like stepped foot in the church. So, you know, that was something that was like, oh, they don't go to church, you know, and 
you know, it just kind of felt like a little bit like out of place. Mm-hmm. And I remember and when I was 16, uh, we went to Puerto Rico to visit family. And I was like so excited because I was like, oh, these are my people, right? Like mm-hmm. when I go to see my roots and everything. And then my older cousins that had just met me for the first time, they were like marveling. They were like, wow, she doesn't even look Spanish. (laughs) I was like, I don't even fit in here. What? You know, and then I never picked up the language either. So my grandparents were kind of like shaking that disapproving finger. Like she didn't even speak Spanish. Like, What's wrong there? So there was some times when I felt quite out of place, but I had a great family life and very close and it was great. Good. Yeah. Very good. Well, you told us a little bit about your professional artistic background, but can you give us a bigger picture of your artistic and writing background? How long have you been doing that? I'll start at the beginning with that too. I have been an artist, I feel, in my soul since I was old enough to pick up an instrument. I mean, that was that was something that it came naturally to me. I enjoyed it. I got praised for it, which helped that feedback loop. And then I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I do good. This, you know, I was never accused of being athletic. <laughs> I was never an active child. Like that's kind of what I did was just to draw and everything. And I was big stuff. I remember in second grade, I think I won this competition in my elementary school and I got this $25 savings bond or whatever. And I was so excited. I was just like, oh, wow. You know, and it just, it helped spur me on. Later on in my teen years, I got a gig through someone that my parents worked with and he hired me to do some renderings of homes for some investors for a new neighborhood. And and then I got paid for it and I was very excited. I was like, wow, I can actually like make money doing this. This is great. And so that kind of started me along that. I went to college and I actually, I was kind of naive going in. I I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I always loved just looking at buildings and structures and always would try to duplicate things. And so I thought, well, maybe architecture and design is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized that I did not have the math and physics and, you know, that kind of strong (laughs) ability for that. And that's when I discovered the graphic design path. And I switched into a more fine arts degree, and that's really where I found home. I really enjoyed it, and I love the community, the the critiques, just talking with people about art and everything. So after that, I got married, and I did some sign work. I worked at a web design company, um, and that's where some of my writing past comes from there, like some of our clients needed content for their websites. So in addition to designing them and building them, I would also add content, Mm -hmm. just different areas, real estate and things. It was something that I was always really good at in school, creative writing and the five paragraph theme and the poetry, everything like that. Like I always just kind of saw it as a puzzle and it was always fun to, to try to figure out how to best communicate Gotcha. So you're definitely a natural artist and a natural communicator, I would say. How did you learn to create? I know you said that you spent a lot of time alone entertaining yourself, but can you tell us a fond memory you have of those times when you were learning that you could really do it? I want to tell you my first experience with fine art. Okay. Back, I think, in the 60s, 
my dad commissioned to have a portrait made of my mom, this oil painting. And this was the only piece of fine art that was in our home. Hung up with pride. It had, you know, this beautiful, you know, my mom's captured in her 20s and, you know, the ringlets and this beautiful outfit. And I remember just being so young, just staring at it. Mm -hmm. I was just captivated. I was like, how did this likeness of my mom, you know, show up on here and it's here forever and it's frozen and it's perfect and it looks like glass. I think honestly that that set a seed in me of wanting to enjoy that because I mean, we never went to museums or anything like that. So that was, I think that was pretty instrumental in my life. Mm -hmm. But I do remember I was probably maybe six and I had one of those the thing that you would like press down and then you could lift the film and put it back down and it would erase it. Yeah. I was trying to draw a tree and I was not happy with how it was working out. And, you know, I think it had something to do with leaves. Like I couldn't figure out, like, I don't want to draw all these leaves. I don't know what to do here. So I, I went to my mom and I was like, can you draw me a tree? So she drew me and I just, I remember it very viv- vividly in my mind, this sad little tree that, <laughs> I mean, it had like, it coming out. I mean, it just looked like this winter, like style. I was like, no, that's not going to work. So I went to my dad and I was like, hey, can you draw me a tree? And so he did. He drew me this, you know, what you would very much see as the generic, like six year old, like, you know, the trunk and then the cotton candy kind of top. And there you go. That's the tree. And it's done. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And so, like, I copied it. And then I think it also clicked, like, I just copied that and I just learned how to do this new thing. And it it was kind of fun. It was kind of neat. And I remember being like in third grade, I'd go to the library at school and just check out all these different books on how to draw. And I would, I mean, everything like cartoons. And I remember drawing like famous buildings. And then, you know, all that time I spent in my parents' offices over the years, like there was always some kind of chalkboard or something and or dry erase or whatever and I would always just go in there and I would just draw things like all day long that was very fun for me gotcha. and that was something too you know like either because they didn't want me just like out wandering the streets you know like when I was younger or uh, because I was with them at the office art supplies was always very plentiful it didn't matter you know, where we were financially or whatever, like I could always go get some paper from a printer somewhere. They'd always make sure I had my Crayola supply was very filled. That was kind of like my, I get as much of this as I want. Mm -hmm. And it was always encouraged. And I think that's how it started off. Gotcha. Well, great. So now you're currently working on a children's book called Reuben Parker's Homemade Bumbleween. So can you tell us what the story is about? Absolutely. Reuben Parker is a young monster and he's excited about the upcoming season of Bumbleween, which is very similar to our Halloween. And he's especially excited to enter his house in the annual Bumbleween house decorating competition. And then his mother tells him the bad news that it's been a rough year for them all and they're not going to be able to afford to buy any decorations this year. And he goes through all the feelings of disappointment and jealousy, and he comes home to find his parents have found a way for them to participate by making homemade decorations out of things that they find around the house. So they all work together, and in the end, Ruben is really proud of what they accomplished, and he's excited that they got to participate, and they had this good time as a family 
in the process doing it. Awesome. There are so many things there. And, and I'm thinking like, okay, it's a monster and it's at Bumbleween, which is like Halloween. Like how much of your family's influence growing up sort of played into this. But there are, there are also some other themes we'll focus on. But mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Though? Do you think your childhood influenced what you wrote in this story? Honestly, instead of my childhood, I felt more connected to it as how I am with my family now, with my children. So when they were little, like we had decided, we thought homeschooling would be the best route for our family. And so when my oldest was just two, I was going to these mom groups where there was this retired school teacher and she was like telling us all kinds of things we can do for like preschool curriculum for our children. And so, I mean, I was like soaking it up. I loved the idea. We were just using things from your pantry. We were making these elaborate activities just out of things from around the house. And I think that was fun for me because I grew up kind of frugally. So like, I liked the fact that I didn't have to go buy hundreds of dollars worth of curriculum. I could just like put things together and use that and So I think that's where part of that comes from. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So we were definitely going to dive into sort of the theme of saving money and making homemade decorations rather than buying holiday decorations. Are you making a statement at all in your book about our consumer-driven culture and the importance of hand-making and reusing household items? Yeah, that's part of the theme that I was going with. I feel like it hit me in the face, like when I had kids. That's when I realized how consumerism is at the holidays. Between my husband and I, we have a large family and everybody was so sweet. And they just, they blessed our kids with so many cool toys and stuff. And um, it was emotional for me because I had all these ideas, right? Like, okay, I'm going to buy this awesome little wooden drum (laughs) and it has no batteries. It has no, hardly any packaging. It has longevity and my daughter can then like pass it on to her kids and she can remember. I had all these ideas of how special this present was, right? Mm -hmm. But then, you know, like when your kids get 20 presents and they're all lighting up and they're singing songs and they're like so stimulating, that drum is sorry. It just sits in the the corner and I'm over there beating on it. Like, come on, I just want to play with this drum. (laughs) Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the damn drum. So yeah, yeah, that's... (laughs) You know, I love homemade things. I love handmade things. And it could be like a, a love language thing. I don't know. Like the idea that somebody thought about me and sat and like did something for me, I think it's so special. And that's something that I wish I could do that for everybody on my shopping list. But, you know, I also get it. Like there's time constraints. And if you don't have a special skill, then I mean, what are you going <laughs> to? Yeah, that's where it came to be. Awesome. I think that's great. The story is really special and close to your heart. And it's something that you think is important for, you know, families to have an experience together. From your perspective, what impact has consumerism had on our human condition? Once your basic needs are met and you've got enough money for your food and your shelter, I think it's so easy to accumulate so much quickly. And I feel like in our brains, like we start equating, you know, we don't have to hunt, right? So Mm -hmm. I think shopping becomes that hunting sometimes. And it's like, it's so satisfying to find something on a steal. And maybe we wouldn't, wouldn't even pay full price for it, but you know, it was on sale. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I've done it before. Mm -hmm. And then later I'm like, why did I 
why did I buy this thing <laughs> that I don't really need? I don't really like. I'm not in love with it, but it was cheap. So it made me feel good. You know, that retail therapy. Uh-huh. I feel like we're looking for ways to decompress or make yourself prettier or more acceptable. And, you know, there's a big cost to that. Just with debt, it, you know, it's a problem for so many. And it causes stress that's felt in your body. And stress in your body can cause, you know, inflammation and heart disease and, you know, just all kinds of things that can just, just really mess you up. And so, you know, I think culturally we need to start looking at other ways. And I mean, a lot of people do other things, but it's sometimes it's just easy to just, you're on your phone, go to Amazon, just buy something real quick. And it's fine. Oh, that was, that was great. You know, you get a little rush from it or whatever, but you know, shopping is not the answer. And maybe we should be, you know, just running or dancing or, you know, talking to people in our lives that matter. And that's like a way better therapy that'll just penetrate our souls instead of just filling our spaces up. Yeah. And sort of nurture those connections that you already have using the stuff that you already have instead of just bringing right. more and more in. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I've become really picky over things that come in. When we look around, we're like, wow, how did we accumulate so much? I'm looking around now. I'm in my basement. I'm like, what are we going to do? So <laughs> anyway, so I love, I love donating. I love, you know, calling up the ARC service and they just come and they'll take it away and they will give it to people who need it. And I love doing that. It's good for the soul too. It's better than retail therapy. It's like, you're actually going to help somebody else with the stuff that you don't want. Okay. Let's shift just a little bit into the logistics of the book, I guess you would say. What made you choose to write to the children demographic rather than teenagers or adults? The first thing I really wanted to do was I wanted to paint. That's my big love in life is painting. I wanted some kind of platform where I could paint with a purpose and it just seemed to hit all those spots. I think where I need to go, I need to go back a year and a half. This is where all of this started. So I'm, you know, I just turned 40. My kids are getting older. There was, my household chores were getting done. I had extra time during the day and I'm wondering what to do. You know, what what do I want to do? Like, what can I do? I, you know, sort of an introvert. So it's not easy for me to just go out, make connections and go volunteer somewhere and, and go join groups. Like that's kind of not really my personality. So I started just kind of really thinking about like, what can I do? What What's helpful? What's useful? You know, I had this breakdown one day. I was at the gym with my girlfriend and we're getting out all these weights and we're setting them up. And I just like, I just felt so broken inside. And I just sat down on my step and she was like, are you okay? And I just started crying. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what am I getting? So I'm having like this breakdown in, in the middle of a class. And I knew I had to figure something out. I had to figure out some way to contribute to society that would not just turn my home life topsy-turvy. Mm-hmm. Because if I just went out and got a job or, you know, did something like my husband was still traveling you know, the kids still need me at certain times to be in certain places for them. And I didn't want to like stress out my whole family just because I'm having some kind of midlife crisis. So, so I started thinking about it and I found some old papers, old critiques and things from college. And there was all these nice notes written about how great my illustrations were and 
you know, thanks for my teachers and my classmates and just encouragement. And it just, it kind of like reminded me like, yes, this is a part of your life that you miss Mm -hmm. that you love doing, but I didn't want to just do it for myself. I didn't want to just be like, oh, there's a blank spot on my wall and I just want to paint something, just put it up Mm -hmm. or create something that just gets put in a closet. That to me seems fruitless. Like it wasn't just about the process of the the work. I feel like I'm very like purpose-driven. Like I want it to be for something. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of playing with the idea of children's books and I went to the library and I sat and I was like reading them all. And, you know, that was something that was real special, like when my kids were little. And the idea that I could create those moments for people with their children, that was so satisfying to me. Plus the challenge too of taking complex themes or, you know, emotions and just trying to figure out how to translate them into a language that children can understand. Mm -hmm. It had like the perfect combination. It barely cost us any money other than some supplies. I could do it during the day while my kids were at school. It gave me a reason to paint. And then I always knew like what I was going to paint next. Oh, well, it's the next page. What was the next page? So it's like it hit all these points. It was very exciting. It was such a good challenge. It's been a long time since I've tried something new for the first time, you know, and sometimes in life, like you get to this point in life and you're like, oh yeah, like this is what I do. I do do this and I don't do that. And this was something that I'd never done, but I was like, I feel like this is accessible. I feel like I can do this. And it was very character building along the way because probably about a third of the way in, I'm like, wow, this is taking a long time. Mm -hmm. This is harder and more frustrating than I thought. I just thought it was going to be, you know, simple, but no, it was challenging. And then it occurred to me that my kids were watching my progress and they were telling their friends and, you know, people were getting excited. Like the, the kids that would come over to my house, they'd look. And, and then I felt like a responsibility to them. Uh-huh. Like, I want to set a good example. Like if you want something, you need to stick with it, even though it's hard and it's challenging. And there's times when you feel like you should have never even started there. And I'm going to make these mistakes and I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to try over. And this experience was as much for me, <laughs> for me as it will be for anybody who buys the book. Yeah. It was kind of like a turning point. Yeah. What was challenging about it? What were some of the obstacles you came up against? There were so many, you know, I had never made pictures that you've got two dimensional paper. You've got to move this character around, you know, they have to look the same from page to page mm-hmm. and emotions like drawing all the different emotions, trying to do that, coming up with characters. I made a long list in the beginning. It probably took me a month of really thinking of different types of books to even write. Like I wasn't even really sure, like, is it a book, you know, is it about hygiene? Is it about family matters? Is it, you know, is it about animals? I was all over the place. I spent so many hours just in my sketchbook, just trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And this one theme of a kid that had to do without, and then his parents help him figure out a different way. And then they can all work to get like, it just kept coming back. And so I think that that helped me to figure it out. And then the artwork, I very much, you know, I was a graphic designer, I sat at a desk, and I did things on a computer. And a lot of the books that I've seen now are very, you know, they're computer generated mm-hmm. images. Mm-hmm. And they're beautiful and they're wonderful. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, like, I love 
seeing texture and brushstroke and, you know, just the little squiggles and things like that. And I wanted that tactile feeling with my book. So everything is hand done. And then when I mess up and I mess up to the point where I can't fix it, I start over. And Mm -hmm. so that was challenging, but eventually I gave into it. I was like, yep, I got to do it. Cause I mean, once this is in print, it's there, there forever. So, well, it was really cool to hear how you worked through those challenges. I totally agree. The computer generated artwork is beautiful, but I miss all of the hand drawn things that we used to be saturated with in our childhoods. Right. So that's really cool. So you sort of, you told us how you got started and it's obvious at this point that artwork is a really big focus of this book. It's bold, it's colorful, and you do capture a lot of emotion in the illustrations. What influenced the style of artwork in your book? I wish I could have built it up to where you feel paint on the pictures, you know, on the page, you know, Mm -hmm. I always have loved just chunky paintings texture and thickness and stuff. I also, I love books like Ladybug Girl, who it's very watercolory and very light. I don't know. I think it's just like a combination of both. I wanted something that was, that was bold and thick and sometimes very in your face, but then other times could be very airy and spacey. And I've kind of touched on this earlier, but when I go to an art museum, I am sort of weird. I am. I, I, I go by myself. It's like my weird happy place. That is something that I do for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll go and I don't just stand there and look. I'm the person that kind of squats down and I'm like looking at the side. I'm trying to capture the light in certain areas of the paintings or illustrations or anything, whatever I'm there seeing. And I'm trying to I'm trying to understand the process. Mm-hmm. And I love, love it when I can see, you know, a random hair from a from brush like from you know 1800s right and it's there and it's stuck there forever and right there you're connected with that artist to me it's not just about like what the piece is I really love trying to be part of the process and maybe it's because I do love making art I want to I want to decode it I want to figure out like how did they do it what layer went down first because this I can't figure out Mm -hmm. I mean I just I love that part of it To me, it's like this visual puzzle, this 3D puzzle, and I just want to know how they did it so I could do it too. And also just to feel connected to the artist. And and I feel like that's the long lost tribe that I've been searching for my whole life is, you know, the collective of artists in this world. I just always had those feelings of kind of being like, I'm a little odd, a little socially weird sometimes, closed off. Mm -hmm. You know, I think my tribe is artists. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned earlier how you were you were struggling to find a place to fit in, and maybe that's your that's your place. Sure, Pat, present and future. That's where I want to be. Yeah, <laughs> I am so glad you said something about the brush hair in the paint because I will tell you, I have painted so many times and gotten like dust or a brush hair <laughs> or like a cat hair in the painting, and I'm like, oh no, it's there. And then I try to get it out, and sometimes you just don't get them all out. Yeah. You just don't. And then you mess something up when you're trying. Mm-hmm. But to your audience, that could just be this beautiful artifact that was left by you as part of your process. Yeah. She's doing this, and then a cat goes by, <laughs> and then the cat. This is from her pet. So. Oh, I love it. Well, that's great. So you did tell us about sort of trying to decode 
the process. So that seems like the impact that art has on you personally. Is there any other impact art has on you personally? Does it make you feel a certain way other than, you know, fitting into a group or anything like that? I think it it totally depends on what I'm looking at, which I guess is the intention too. I'm not going to lie. There are some installations that I'll walk through and I don't give it the time of day. And I know I should, I should stop and really try to absorb what the meaning is, but I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling this. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if you should stop. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) There's so many types of art out there. Sometimes I'm moved by something that was done beadwork. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I recently saw this really wonderful exhibition is Native American women only. And there's these beautiful beaded baskets and just, just everything they made. I was amazed. I went so many times just to stare, you know, and I caught a glimpse of their tradition Mm -hmm. and their culture and the fact that these ways of being were just passed down through their artwork. And I don't, I don't have a lot of traditions. I probably have more traditions than I know that I have that were passed down to me. But I mean, we, you know, we didn't have any of of that. And I don't think I'm passing down many, you know, artistic traditions or anything. But for art to like capture, like a scrapbook, you know, like Mm -hmm. for it to capture the memory of your family or of time together, it's a beautiful thing. For it to capture, even if it's capturing ugly parts of culture and society for the time, the fact that it was created for us to look back and glean something from it, I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think we can learn so much and not just from visual arts, but I mean, just like performance art and music and the written word. Yeah. I mean, I think all of it has something that it can help you connect to people from all eras, all cultures. I think it has a transformative power. I like that. So Michelle, what hopes and dreams do you have for the book you're working on? I hope that there will be good moments created between parents and their children. I hope there are lessons that will be discussions that will be brought up about recycling, upcycling, resilience, lessons about being persistent and being open to new ideas that are not conventional. I love that. I would love for this, not just to be like the book I made, but just the first. I would love to continue doing this. I've enjoyed the process so much. I think I've learned a lot. It was, like I said, character building for myself. Well, that's great. Those are some great hopes and dreams. And thank you so much for for sharing that with us. And now I'm sure everybody is dying to know what are the details on when your book will be available? Because guys, this isn't out at the time of recording, but once it's available, where do you anticipate listeners can get it? It should be available on Amazon in August. Awesome. Yes. Okay. You guys heard it here first. (laughs) Yes. And so last but not least, what is some parting wisdom that you can leave for our listeners? So I've, I've talked a lot about my artistic, my bent towards it. And 
Okay, this may sound real hokey to say, but I think that just being human, like I feel like everybody has in some way, shape or form the capacity to create Mm -hmm. and the capacity to be an inventor. And it makes me sad to think that people out there who are maybe I'm a math person, I can't even draw a straight line, that they've just brushed it off, probably because somewhere, you know, when they were seven, somebody told them that it didn't look good or whatever. Like that makes me sad. So like, I would love to encourage everybody that even if you've never done anything creative before, like there is nothing stopping you. It is good for your soul. You know, you might even discover some talent that you never knew that you had. And you should, you should discover those things as quickly as possible. So you can enjoy them as long as you can, not just visual art, just anything like writing or music or Maybe you're a really great dancer and you just don't know it. But, you know, just like just to not sell yourself short and just to try to discover something about yourself that you didn't already know and just try to create something, change a recipe, add something, take something away. Just I think everybody has has that in them to create and be inventive and solve problems creatively. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Brandy. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in weekly at onbeinghumanpodcast.com for more soul-exposing explorations of what it means to be human. Until next week love to you all.